what you really want is just the child to have to think about a story or an idea. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way, so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. I'm here today with Sarah Lee, who is the owner and founder of Sarah's Silks, which is one of our absolute favorite companies. I'm going to let her talk a little bit about her background and about how she started the company. Hi, Alana. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. I actually just signed up for your program and I was so happy to see all the open-ended toys that you have recommended there. So um, before I started Sarah Silks, I was a maternal child nurse and I was in the Peace Corps in Guatemala. And what I learned there, I was there for five years and I worked with mothers and children and I noticed that the children there have amazing imaginations and they don't have formed toys. They play with sticks and cloths and rocks and shells and water. And it was amazing and inspiring. I mean, for lots of reasons, working in Guatemala was wonderful, but that was something that really struck me. And when I came back here to California, and I was working as a nurse and I started my family and I, my oldest son was four and I wanted to send him to the Waldorf school here because of the open-ended play opportunities. I noticed that the teachers dyed silks and cottons for the children to use. They're just rolled up in the classroom for them to play with. They're on the shelves and they also have rocks and shells and sticks, much like the children had in Guatemala. The children used them and made such amazing forts and they've just played pretend with all of these loose parts that the teachers provided in the classroom. And I wanted those for my, my son at home. So I dyed some cloth for him and silk was the best thing because he didn't like itchy things at all. And also silk is really um, easy to tie, very easy easy to manipulate and it takes the dye easily. I was able to do it in my kitchen sink and he loved the colors. He was very into pretend play and with the kids in the neighborhood, they would play all kinds of games. And then the other children wanted some silks too. And so I started dyeing for them and we had a little shop in our town. I thought maybe I could sell them. And I took them a little basket of silks and they were like, where did you get these? It turned out it was Hearthsong, which is became a very big toy company, but it was small at the time and it was in our local town. And those children from that, the owners of that company also went to the same Waldorf school that my kids went to. So that's how the company started. And I was still working as a nurse on weekends and my husband had another job and we had two tiny children and it kind of, it just grew from there. It was such a joy that I quit my, my job as a nurse and kept on making toys. No, that's amazing. And, um, so if you guys don't know of Sarah Silks, so one of the, I would say probably like the biggest selling things, right, is just the, how big is it? A yard square. Okay. And it's literally a piece of beautiful silk that is dyed in these awesome colors. They have like, they have just such an array and they're, they're all beautiful. And then 
that's all that it is. Like it is, it's such a simple thing. And sometimes people think, like you said, it's like, well, okay, that's not a toy. But the idea is that it really is. And I, and I love that you talked about um, in Guatemala, you know, we, a lot of the times we think that kids in these, some of these areas that are um, less developed or who, you know, aren't as privileged as we are here, you know, we maybe look down on their situation or, or feel bad, right, for them not having these special toys and all these things. But in reality, the most important things that kids are drawn to naturally are things like what you're talking about, like the rocks and the, and the um, you know, wa- just water and, and shells and anything that sticks. Um, and so that's great. And how, so how did you, how did you know about Waldorf before you became a nurse or how did you kind of come into that? Because that's a, not necessarily a mainstream idea, at least where I am. Well, when I was a girl in Maine, my mother sent me to a free school in the 70s, which was quite the thing for the back to the landers. <laughs> She's an artist and she she like made us costumes and she was very creative. So I had gone already to an alternative school myself. And also I read Mothering Magazine. I don't know if some of you would remember that. It's, it's no longer in print, but Peggy O'Mara was quite a pioneer too in parenting in the early years. She promoted breastfeeding and attachment parenting, open-ended play and creative play. And I was I loved that magazine and also Spiritual Midwifery and Ina May Gaskin and the philosophy of attachment parenting and breastfeeding and and natural child rearing and Waldorf education was a natural extension of those things. So I knew about them from my work as a nurse and I was able to attend births in Guatemala and some home births here in the US as well. So I was in, in the community. I knew about Waldorf education. And I wanted a creative school for my children that was play-based, especially in early childhood. Yeah. So that's one of the most important things that I think, you know, I think a lot of parents now, especially, I don't know what it was like back when you were sending your kids to preschool, but now I feel like most parents think that they need to, you know, have their kid get ahead by, being in more of an academic preschool or, you know, teaching them these academics at such an early age. I personally think that that's, that's sort of going against a child's nature. And I'm just wondering if you have thoughts about that. Like what was your experience with raising your kids in, you know, with that Waldorf philosophy and why do you feel like that's something that is important, I guess, just from your background? Well, I have a few things to say about about that. One is that we live near Silicon Valley and the Waldorf School in Palo Alto um, has a lot of children of tech company um, owners and pioneers. And so there's a a great value in in using your imagination as a young person. I think even from people who end up being tech creators, they realize that young children need to develop their imaginations in order to be able to imagine what hasn't been made yet, hasn't been created yet. If you allow children time and space to do that when they're young, they can they can always learn all the academic things later. But I think the free play is so important and so valuable. And it doesn't have to be Waldorf education. It can, you know, I think that just time and space to play is is so important. And I saw that with my own children and the children that they that they went to school with. Some of them became musicians or artists, but some of them are software engineers and they all went to the same Waldorf school all the way through 12th grade. I love that. 
That's so awesome. The so one of the things you said was about how you live near big, you know, big tech and and all this. And obviously, there's such a drive these days, right? Like kids have to be, you know, tech savvy and all this stuff. But and I was reading this article um, that was published a while ago. I can't remember where, but in a pretty big outlet about how people who like some of these big tech pioneers, all their kids go to these alternative schools. Like they either go and they're like doing like an unschooling thing or they're doing Waldorf or they're, and I've always referenced that because it's just such a stark contrast, right? Like you would think your your natural inclination would be, oh, you know, um, Bill Gates and, and all these like big tech people, um, Steve Jobs and, you know, all the big tech people who, who are and were in the space and their kids must have gone to these really top notch schools and all this stuff and these very rigorous schools. And then you come to find out that they don't really want their kids on screens. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, you're the, you know, you're in that space. And so you, it's kind of a, it's like, you know, when you think you'd expect this thing to be the case, but then you're like, whoa, just kidding. They're really, I don't want to say against screens for kids because I don't really, I don't know that that's the case. But from what I see and what I hear about where they send their kids to school and the kinds of things that they ask them to do at home and things just from articles being written, it's, it's interesting that that's the case. Yes, there's a lot of value placed on imaginative play and free play and open-ended play. And yes, that's not to say that there's not a, there's not a place for screens as well. And I remember when you were talking, I remember um, Tom Waits, you know, the famous musician, his son was in one of my son's classes. And I remember him at the parent meeting saying um, around middle school going, well, your no media is a little different than my no media. That's a little different than her no media. Because there's a lot of I wouldn't say pressure, but there's talk about not having media. But I mean, we had some, my kids had some, I don't think, personally, I'm not against all or nothing. Yeah, it can't be at this point. But it's just it is just interesting to see that because you'd be like, Oh, you know, they probably have them on the iPad all day, or, you know, they're doing all this cool tech stuff. And they're like, No, just kidding. We're sending them to Waldorf school, which Waldorf's philosophy is like very, anti or I mean I don't I don't know maybe it's not but from what I've read it seems like it's very you know it wants kids outside and with nature and you know sort of um like you said open-ended play and really being imaginative and they don't push academics super early right I would say they they're minimal on the media for sure until middle school I would say and a lot of outdoor I just visited the Bay School in Maine. I was up in Maine and I went to visit. It was wonderful. And they had a forest school during the pandemic where the children could go to school all year round, even in Maine. And they went out and had their naps in hammocks in the forest. They would walk half a mile every day, these three to six year olds in early childhood. They made a fire, they cooked soup, and then they would go to sleep in their each one in their own little hammock with a tent over their hammock. It's incredible. The te- when the teacher took me on that walk, I thought, my goodness, that's dedication on the teacher's part. Yes. <laughs> well, we we actually ended up during the, pa- it's funny that you say, so during the pandemic, when we, my kids were out of school from March-ish to through the rest of the year, like most kids were, I mean, they were in preschool. So 
you know, we, we were kind of like, okay, what are we going to do with them? Cause we were both working. Um, and so we actually ended up hiring a forest school teacher who runs a forest school program up in Canada. And she came to our house because our house backs up to a, a state park. And she basically, it was just her and my kids. And she took them out for three hours in the morning from nine to 12 and to the woods. And they did like fire building and shelter building and rock climbing and knot tying and all these things. And I mean, my kids are, I always say this for better or worse, my kids are pretty feral. Like they're, they're outside, they're like in their underwear, they're barefoot, they're, you know, covered in mud. Like I love that. And I, and I encourage that. And so this was, it was perfect for them. And it was great because they were outside and, you know, they were obviously, they weren't technically learning what they would be learning. They go to a Montessori school. So definitely an all like an alternative versus a traditional, you know, preschool. And so they weren't learning academics, but they were having like, in my mind, what's more important is like that time to explore and take risks. And um, just, you know, they were coming home talking about what they made in the forest and fairies and all these things. And I was like, this is like magical. <laughs> so so magical. Um, so I love that. I guess what are some benefits that you feel like parents should be aware of in in terms of when you're buying toys and you're thinking about what kinds of things that you should have available for your kids? Wanting to provide them more open-ended toys, which I um, talk about a lot and I have like a whole video about what is an open-ended toy and, and I'm actually pretty sure that I show a silk in there and talk about what we can do with it. Um, so what are some of the benefits that you feel like you see from kids who are more entrenched in playing with open-ended toys versus say like a, I guess a closed toy? For one thing, I would say they get bored less maybe because they're using their imaginations more. Um, a formed toy might only, I call them formed toys, but they might only do the same one thing over and over and over again. Although I have seen children use their imaginations in so many ways with formed toys too. Like, I don't know, like a, a plastic thing that you can pop up, you know, can pop up things could become a kitchen, right? In a child's eyes. But I would say that fewer toys, it's so tempting to get too many toys. And I struggled with that as a young mother as well, with just, and also relatives and friends giving you so many things. But fewer toys seems to be best. And then I think Joan Allman was a mentor of mine and she recently passed away, but she's an early childhood educator who was so wise. And she said, a good toy is 90% child. 10% toy. So I always try to keep that in mind when I'm developing new toys. Because what you really want is just the child to have to think about a story or an idea. And as long as they're doing that, they're engaging themselves in, in a way that is so important to their brain development. I, I don't know a lot about that, but I just know it's true from having worked with children and watched children for the past 30 years. <laughs> and in that the silk is a doll. I mean, I've we do weekly play dates with kids and toy testing and photo shoots. I see them use the silk for everything. I mean, it's a magic carpet they stand on. It's a, I mean, it's so many things. It's a scary monster. It's whatever they imagine in the moment. I think I might have even said this at the beginning of the conversation. Like silk, these are silks are one of the most played with things in our house. And um, you know, they use them as capes, they use them to build forts, they use them to be like our we have a green one and that's grass, and we have a blue one and that becomes an ocean, and they put their sharp toys and they they use them 
really literally, I mean, they just swing them around and they are laughing and they think that's funny. And, you know, there's literally just, it's, it's endless fun. It's endless possibilities. And that's right. That's the beauty of an open-ended toy. Um, and I, I'm so, I was nodding my head because when you were talking about toys being 90% child and 10% toy, I have that like all over my site. Like that's, I've talked about that. I have like videos about it. I, I have had tons of questions about it and I've always said that, but I never knew where I got that idea. I never knew. I, I like, I was like, I know I didn't come up with this because I feel like there's no way that I could have, but I don't know where this originates, but that, so now I need to look. So who was the woman that, that sort of came up with that? Because I would love to read more about her and her, you know, her philosophy. Joan Allman. Joan Allman. Okay. I'm definitely going to look her up. That's, that's just like such a, a simple way of looking at it. And I think parents, you know, they get caught up. Like you said, it's like the, the in-laws and the, you know, Christmas and birthday and, and Hanukkah and da, da, da. And every single holiday is like, what do you want? Toys. Oh, and, and it's not most people aren't going, oh, let me go buy a silk. Let me go buy a jar of rocks, right? For a child. They're going to like Toys R Us or, you know, they're going to whatever the big name, you know, toy stores are and whatever the uh, market marketers are saying are, here are the top 10 toys for this season. And 90% of the time, or I would even say like 99% of the time, all those top 10 toys are things that are so closed and so, like you said, formed that they really don't leave a lot to the imagination. I remember when I, my middle son, I sewed him a doll and it was a handmade, beautiful Waldorf doll. Like I spent a month making this doll for him for his birthday. And what did he do but take the doll out of the box, throw it away and get inside the box. And the box was the, you know, the very best thing. Yeah. And parents joke about that all the time. And I, it's like, I swear it's, I mean, all the time they're like, haha, why do I buy toys when my kid just wants to play with the box? And I'm like, I don't know. Why do you like that's, you know, I, I actually have a whole post about like how, what's a better toy, a box or a, you know, an educational toy or a box. And it's like, well, the box, why? Because it's open-ended. Like the box can become a uh, you know, a, a rocket ship or uh, it's a, you know, whatever it can, it, you can make a robot, you can color on it, you can do anything. I mean, and it's just, it's crazy because I think we, um, especially now, and I feel like things were maybe a little bit, you said your children are older, they're in their twenties. Yeah. They're all in their twenties. Yes. I feel like it might've been a little bit more, I'm trying to think my sister is in her twenties. And so I'm thinking about like when she grew up versus, you know, how it is with my kids and and what kind of the societal pressures are, right? When you were raising kids, I don't I don't know what the the pressures were, but I would imagine just with, you know, phones and social media and and you know, all of this stuff that's kind of really become so pervasive in childhood that there's a di- you know, that there's different things that parents are worrying about now and I I think we get caught up, like you said, in, in, you know, buying the toys and having all the stuff and, you know, we want to make sure we have the best and the, you know, the most, the newest of everything. And, and in reality, a lot of the times those, um, those things are not necessarily what's best for, for the kids. That's very interesting. Well, um, it was great to have you. I would love for you to share where people can find you. So your website, your socials, anything uh, that you want to share about, you know, products or anything that's coming down the pipe. 
Well, you can find our website at sarahsilks.com. Um, we're also on Amazon, um, if that's easier for people. We also wholesale to lots of small independent toy stores. So I always like to support those if you have a little toy store in your town. And you can find me on Instagram at Sarah Silks. We also have a subscription program that I'll, that's pretty popular right now. It's called Play Silks in the Mail, where every month you get a new Play Silk or Play Silk related toy. And because kids really like getting mail. I mean, it's pretty fun. Yes. My son checks the mailbox every day. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, what do you think is going to come for you? And he'll only bring in anything that's in a package form. If it's like an actual piece of mail, he leaves it there. And I'm like, if you're going to go to the mailbox, could you at least bring everything in? And he's like, no, there was nothing for me. I'm like, none of these things are for you anyways. Even the packages that come, I'm like, he's like, what's this? I'm like, it's shampoo. And he's like, oh, like, what do you think you're going to get like a new package every day? Well, that's awesome. Yeah, they totally love getting stuff in the mail. So it's once a month. Yes, it's once a month. Yeah. And we're planning into 2022. Yes, we're doing some new artist um, prints on the silk. We're trying some new things for we have some artist designs, little play maps. Yeah, for floor play. And some different things they are still I still believe the best thing when anyone asks me I always tell them the best thing is just the simple solid color play silk just as you said it's yep. the best yeah we do make capes and crowns and all these other things which are super special for birthdays and special occasions and the big pieces of silk and cotton for fort building are wonderful too but in my opinion, if you're going to start anywhere, the best thing to do is to just start with a simple play silk. And the, maybe in your child's favorite color, you know, that would be the perfect gift. Yes, I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me, Alana. It was wonderful to talk with you. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 